0: Today's scripture reading is 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. Now the men of the city said to Elisha, Behold, the situation of the city is pleasant, as my Lord sees, but the water is bad, and the land is unfruitful. He said, Bring me a new bowl, and put salt in it. So they brought it to him. Then he went to the spring of water, and threw salt in it, and said, Thus says the Lord, I have healed this water. From now on, neither death nor miscarriage shall come from it. So the water has been healed to this day, according to the word that Elisha spoke. He went up from there to Bethel, and while he was going up on the way, some small boys came out of the city and jeered at him, saying, Go up, you baldhead! go up, you baldhead!" And he turned around, and when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she-bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. From there he went on to Mount Carmel, and from there he returned to Samaria. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word.
1: Well, the question I have for you this morning, I think, is an interesting one. And no doubt, it is provocative. The question is, do you believe in curses? Do you believe in curses? Now, if I was to put that question to most of us this morning in a a calm and intimate, quiet setting, just the two of us, and we've had time to discuss it, and the intellectual side of yourself would take over, no doubt most of us would say no, and for good reason, beloved. Because the idea of curses, for most of us, probably seems primitive to our modern ears and our evolved and enlightened minds. That's the kind of stuff that belongs to anxious religious cults and beliefs. Stuff of yesteryear, like the Salem witch trials or voodoo dolls or the tomb of King Tut, Black Cats and Babe Ruth. In fact, dare I say that when it comes to curses, what most of us know is probably we probably have gotten from some old wives tale or or a movie like Amityville Horror or Pet Cemetery. Or my wife's favorite, The Conjuring. Don't ask me why. (laughs) Or sometimes, beloved, we wrongly associate, we wrongly associate habitual sins. Like alcoholism, or pornography, or greed, or gluttony. We wrongfully associate these kind of habitual sins with curses passed down from generation to generation, and so we call them generational curses. But I want to suggest to you this morning that that type of wrong-headed thinking is what led many to believe that black men and white and, and and black women in America were cursed in the cursing of ham and thus justifying their enslavement in the minds of many white so-called christians but the reality is that nothing could have been further from biblical truth Now beloved, listen, okay, Curses in the Bible are real. but they have nothing to do with superstitions. They have nothing to do with black cats or cemeteries, or Ouija boards. They have nothing to do with childhood games of Bloody Mary and Candyman. Curses in the Bible are about redemption. Did you hear what I said? Curses in the Bible are about redemption. In fact, what I want us to understand this morning is that curses play an essential role in the Bible and the redemption of God's people. Don't look at me like that. Pastor Phillips sit up there and said, "What is he talking about?" <laughs> Beloved, the Bible is a story. Of redemption. That's what it is. And you got to understand that redemption is about blessing and curse. Blessing and curse. What does it mean to be cursed? It means to fall out of favor with God and to no longer be the recipient of His pleasure. It's not black cats. And voodoo dolls It's falling out of favor with God and no longer being the recipient of his pleasure. We see this illustrated with Jesus in Mark chapter 11 when he comes across the fig tree. Why does Jesus curse the fig tree? He curses the fig tree because he was not pleased that the church, that that the tree had no fruit at a time in which the tree should have had fruit. In verse verse 14 of Mark 11, the Bible says, And he said to the tree, May no one ever eat fruit from you again, because the tree had fallen out of favor with Jesus and would no longer be the recipient of his pleasure. But it's not just trees. We need to consider where it all begins. the Garden of Eden, when God created Adam and Eve, the Bible says that he created them blessed. He created them good. They were blessed, and not only were they blessed, but God blessed all creation and spoke a word of blessing, declaring all things good. Adam and Eve were blessed. They were in the favor of God. They were the recipients of his pleasure. And then they sinned. And when Adam and Eve sinned, God came and went all Oprah on them. You get a curse, you get a curse, you get a curse. Everybody gets a curse. Everything was cursed. Everything, beloved. When Adam and Eve sinned, they forsook the blessing and they brought about. The curse. The curse of death. And guess what, beloved? Everyone got it. Everyone got it. They brought the curse of sickness, and everyone got it. They brought the curse of shame, and everyone got it. Do you know what the story and the glory of the Bible is this morning, beloved? The story and the glory of the Bible is God's redeeming all creation from that curse. That's it. Cursed from the first. The first Adam brought about difficulty and death. The second Adam, Jesus, brought life and reversed the curse. This is the message of the Bible. This is what the Bible is explaining. This is what the Bible is revealing from beginning to end. It is God reversing The curse, that's the point. Everything you read, that's what it's about. Every incident in the Bible is illustrating how God is reversing the curse. And how does the curse get reversed? The curse gets reversed through Jesus, and not just through Jesus, but through Jesus only. And this is why the Bible insists upon the uniqueness and the exclusivity of Jesus, because, beloved, the curse of sin is only broken by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. There is no other way. This is why Jesus is so central. Because without him, the curse still reigns. When you understand this, when you understand this, you see the Bible is filled with incidents and examples recalling and pointing to God reversing the curse. When you understand that, then the revelation of God opens up. That's what's happening. Yes! The curse is being reversed. Our text is just another example. That's what our text is this morning. Retur- re- reversing the curse of baldness. Some of you brothers got hope this morning. You won't be bald for all eternity. Amen. Our text in Second Kings chapter two we witness we the rise and the ascension of the prophet Elisha. Right? Elijah was gone from the scenes. Taken by God. And in his place, Elisha has been ordained. Ordained as the prophet of God. Ordained now as the people's prophet. And as we were reminded by Pastor, Fa- Pastor Phil last time, this idea of Elisha replacing Elijah had now been accepted. It had become accepted that Elisha had received the mantle of prophetic ministry from Elijah. In fact, in fact, the Bible tells us that the men of Jericho went out searching for Elijah. Elijah, God. And Elijah said, don't go looking for him. And they said, no, we want to go look for Elijah. And the Bible says that the men of Jericho searched for Elijah for three days. And they couldn't find him. And at that point, it became clear. Elisha was now the man. Elisha was now the man. And being the man, and being the prophet of God, now when the people had a problem, they came to Elisha. They brought the problem to Elisha. And they had a problem, beloved. They had a water problem. like me. They had a water problem. The Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 2 and verse 19, and the people of the city, this is Jericho, said to Elisha, look, our Lord, this town is well situated. And as you can see, But the water is bad, and the land is unproductive. The water is bad, and the land is unproductive. Jericho looks good. Jericho is in a good place. Jericho is sunny. Jericho is pleasant. But Jericho is... Cursed. Jericho has a water problem. But it was not just a water problem. In reality, Jericho was cursed. Jericho had a serious problem, beloved. The water was contaminated. And not only was the water contaminated, but apparently the water was even deadly. And yet, we need to understand that the water problem was just the visible aspects of the problem. The real problem, the real problem in Jericho is that Jericho represented the curse. The curse of sin. The curse of death. The the falling out of favor with God. Jericho had fallen out of God's pleasure. You might recall in Joshua chapter 6, when Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land, and they come to Jericho, and God commands them to take Jericho, and everything in Jericho is to be devoted to the Lord, is to be destroyed. For the Lord's sake and glory. And in chapter 6, in verse 26 of Joshua, the Bible says that at that time, Joshua invoked this curse. This is on Jericho. May the curse of the Lord fall on anyone who tries to rebuild the town of Jericho. At the cost of his first son, he will lay its foundation. At the cost of his youngest son, he will set up its gates. And ever since that time, beloved, Jericho had been cursed. and Jericho remained unbuilt until the time of Ahab in particular Ahab's builder Hael and once Jericho was rebuilt the bible says that curse was fulfilled 1 kings chapter 16 verse 34 in Ahab's time, Haal of Bethel rebuilt Jericho. He laid its foundations at the cost of his firstborn, Abraham. And he set up its gates at the cost of his youngest son, Segub, in accordance with the word of the Lord spoken by Joshua, son of Nun. Now listen, Jericho was a nice city. The Bible says it was pleasantly situated. It was a pleasant city. Jericho looked good, but like most of us, Looks are deceiving. That's how sin is in the world, isn't it? Sin is often dressed up in this world. Most of us cover the sinfulness of our hearts with smiles and nice hairdos and fine clothes. But underneath, the curse is still there. Jericho was pleasant. But cursed, like sin, the water was deadly. It caused harm, deadly harm to the land and to the people. Literally, the word means miscarriage. The land was miscarrying. The the land was unfruitful. The wounds in the land. We're damaged because of the water. It was bad, beloved. It was bad. But that's what sin is. That's what sin is. Sin is bad. That's what sin does. Sin contaminates. That's what sin does. Sin debilitates. That's what the curse does. It turns upside down. It makes good, bad, and bad, good. Water is supposed to be good. All things right, water is good. Water is supposed to be a source of life. Water is supposed to be a source of renewal. Water is a source of restoration. What does the curse do? Takes that which is supposed to be good and makes it bad. Takes that which is supposed to bring life and now it brings death. Instead of life and renewal and restoration, now this water was the source of death and disease and destruction. And guess what? The men and the people of Jericho knew that something was wrong. They knew that this isn't right. Water shouldn't be this way. This is not how life should be. Children are not supposed to disobey their parents. That's not how it's supposed to be. Something is wrong. Something is not right with the world. And you know what? People know it. They know something isn't right. You know what? Our world is filled with people frustrated, frustrated, and they protest. They protest. They get to the streets, and they get their signs, and they protest. They protest war. They protest climate change, they protest hunger, they protest abuse, they protest poverty, etc, etc, etc. Any time people protest what they think is wrong, you know what they are doing, They are assuming that there is a such thing as right. you act like that water isn't supposed to be contaminated. Maybe that's the way it's supposed to be, Phil. No. Because deep down, you know something isn't right. And when they are assuming that something isn't right, they are also assuming that there is someone who knows what right is. And whether they realize it or not, then they are assuming that there is a God who can make this You know what they really want. You know what they really want. What they really want is for the curse to be reversed. Something ain't right. I don't know what it is, but something ain't right. Well, I'll tell you what it is. You want the curse reversed. You want the curse of sickness and disease reversed. You want the curse of racism and injustice reversed. You want the curse of loneliness and pain reversed. But I am here to tell you this morning that the ultimate cure cure for these things is not picketing in the street. It is not electing the right politician. It is Jesus. That is the only way, beloved, the curse gets reversed. It's the only way. So they come to Elijah. Something ain't right, Elijah. The water's bad. It's not the water, boys. It's the curse. Jericho is cursed. But you know what I'm going to do? Notice that the Bible says that Elisha healed the water. He healed the water. Why? Because, beloved, this is what God does, this is what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to heal. Jesus came to reverse the curse. In fact, this is what miracles are. This is what miracles are. When you read about miracles in the Bible, this is all the miracles are doing. The miracles are demonstrating the reversing of the curse. When Jesus turns the water into wine, he is Illustrating how the curse is going to be reversed. When he casts out demons, he is illustrating how the curse is going to be reversed. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, he is illustrating how the curse is going to be reversed. When he healed the blind man, Jesus is simply reversing the curse. That's what miracles are. Miracles are the supernatural kingdom of God breaking forth into this natural world saying, God heals. And the curse is going to be reversed. This is the point. This is the point. This is the point of the cross of Jesus. What happened on the cross? The Bible tells us in Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ became a curse for us. Christ became a curse for this world so that we might now enter into the favor of God again. The cross is God reversing the curse. That is what redemption is. That's what it means to be saved. That's what it means to be saved, beloved. That's what it means to be saved by Jesus. It is being brought from cursing to blessing. From sin to salvation. That's what Christ does. It's being brought from darkness to light. It is being brought from despair to hope. It is being brought from death to life. And this is why. This is why, beloved. You and I, we don't have to go around looking for miracles every day. Because that's not the point. Hebrew want to go around and say, Expect a miracle today, expect a miracle today. No, 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 beloved. I don't go around looking for miracles. What I'm looking for is the evidence of what miracles reveal. That is the evidence of the kingdom of God. I would see the evidence of redemption, the evidence of restoration, the evidence of reconciliation. That means the kingdom of God has broken forth. And healing is taking place. And the curse is being reversed. Elijah, Elijah redeemed the people of Jericho. Elijah restored the fortunes of Jericho. Elijah reconcile the people of Jericho back to God. That's what Jesus does every day. That's what Jesus does every day in the world. Wherever the curse is found, there you find Jesus. What? Redeeming. Redeeming people from the curse. Doing what? Restoring. Restoring the fortunes of the people of God. They're doing what? Reconciling. Reconciling the people of God Back to God. Reversing the curse. Everywhere the curse is found in this world, there you find Jesus. Reversing the curse. Reversing the curse until one day when the curse will be no more. That's the point. This is the point of the Bible. This is the point of the Word of God. From Genesis, you see the curse, and in Revelation, the curse is no more. That's the point. The curse is visited upon the garden in Genesis. You know what happened in Revelation? Revelation 21, verse 1. curse that was visited in the garden is no more in the city. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the older things have passed away. He who sits on the throne said, I am making all things new. The curse Christ came to reverse the curse. The new heavens and the new earth is a place where no curse is found. That's the point, beloved. A place where no curse is found. We we sing it at Christmas, but we ought to sing it all year long. Joy to the world. No more, no more will sin or sorrow grow. No more will thorns infest the ground. Because he has come to make his blessings flow. Where? As far as the curse is found. As far as the curse is found. The Lord is reversing curse. The curse of Jericho points to that. But so also does the curse of mocking. We're almost done. After Elijah, after Elisha healed the waters and he was further confirmed. all All he did was further confirm the fact that he was God's man. That he was God's prophet. That he had received the mantle from Elijah. Elisha was making his way back to Carmel by way of Bethel. And on the way he met up some young boys some knucklehead, (laughs) hard-headed boys. I've met them. I used to run with them. He met some knucklehead boys who mocked him. Verse 23, and from there, Elisha went up to Bethel, and as he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town, and they jeered at him. Get out of here, Baldy, they said. Get out of here, Baldy. Now, uh, beloved, apparently, you know, being bald-headed wasn't in fashion. Like it is today. I look around the church today and the lights are just glittering. And it looks so nice and shiny in certain places. That's the thing to do now. I almost did it. But we're going to hold off on that a little while, I feel. I think the curse is going to be reversed (laughs) sooner than you may think. (laughs) But apparently, beloved, apparently this was not a thing back then, okay? And so they made fun. It's interesting that Elijah apparently had a full head of hair, but Elisha, not so much. And he became the object of these boy's Ridicule. Ridicule. These boys made fun of Elijah. They jeered at him. They mocked Elisha. And what is mocking, beloved? Mocking is making fun of in a public, humiliating, and derisive way. Today, comedians get paid to do it. And apparently, these boys thought it was funny. But it was not funny to Elisha. Believe even more important than that, it was not funny to God. God takes mocking seriously, beloved. He really does. And in fact, The boys who cursed Elisha would soon find out that they themselves were the ones who were cursed. To mock the prophet was to mock the word. And to mock the word was to mock God. God says in Psalm 105, In verse 15, do not touch my anointed ones and do my prophets no harm. And here were these boys mocking and jeering at Elijah. But, beloved, it was not just the boys who were doing this because you got to understand that these boys probably got it from somewhere. I'll tell you a secret. I tell you a secret. Um, one day, it was I was coming into church, and um, one of the kids were out there in the church, and I walked in, and, and 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 the child said, "Hey, Pastor!" I said, "Hey," and the child said, "Are you preaching today?" And I said, "Yeah, I'm preaching today." And the child said, "Oh man, has you preached so long?" And I said, oh, I guess we know what your parents talk about. I guess we know what your parents think. Now, I'm not going to tell you who that was. But you ought to be careful that you don't touch God's anointed one. And you don't do his profit any harm. These kids got it from somewhere. (laughs) They always do, beloved. They always do. So they, these kids, have come out of Jericho, having heard their parents mocking the prophet, filling and bolting to do the same. And the bible says that god sent these bears not to kill a mockingbird but to kill mocking boys and this is a vivid reminder beloved of how important our words are the bible tells us in proverbs 18 and 21, the death and life are in the power of the tongue. Those who love it will eat its fruits. Matthew chapter 12 and verse 37 says, For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 29, says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. God takes mocking very seriously, beloved. The mocking is the evidence of the curse of sin. And few things in the world say curse like mockery. Few things are as distasteful to God as human mocking. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9, the Bible says that fools mock at the guilt offering. Fools mock the guilt offering. And this is what the world does. The world mocks the righteousness of God. The world mocks the holiness of God. The world mocks the truth of God. And how do we know this? Because when given the opportunity, the world mocked Jesus. That's what the Bible says on the cross. In Matthew chapter 27 and verses 28 through 29, they stripped Jesus. They beat Jesus they spit on Jesus, and they mocked Jesus. While it may seem a little cruel and unusual punishment, and mocking Elisha, those boys actually got what they asked for. They got what they deserved. But you know who didn't? Jesus. Jesus didn't get what he deserved on the cross. Jesus got what we deserved. He got what we deserved because, beloved, we deserve what those boys got. Now, question for you this morning. Have you ever mocked the things of God? Of course you have. Of course you have. I don't even need you to answer me that question. Of course you have. I know you have. I have made light of God's word, made light of God's righteousness, made light of God's holiness, made light of God's church. And having mocked the holiness of God and having made light of the righteousness of God, having made light of the things of God, we deserve what those boys got. I know I do. And yet, it is not cursing that we get this morning. It is blessing. Not the malice of God but mercy, not the anger of God, but grace. Why? Why is it that we don't receive what those boys received when we have essentially been doing the same things? Because God sent Jesus to reverse the curse. And the songwriter is right when he says, Bearing shame and mocking rude, in our place condemned he stood, sealed our pardon with his blood. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! What a savior! What a savior! He took my mocking, and gave me his blessing. He took my curse and gave me God's favor. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Hallelujah. What a Savior. We're going to sing that this morning. And I hope you can sing it with a new with new meaning and a greater sense of all that Christ has done for you this morning in reversing the curse so that now you and I do not receive malice from God. We receive mercy. We are not the recipients of his anger, but of his grace. We now are in his pleasure as he is reversing the curse in all creation. Let's pray.